being one of the people to have unfortunately left their first job so early. It was one of the hardest but best decisions I've ever made, but I would never wish that experience on anyone. Welcome back to That Vet Life, a podcast for veterinary mentors and mentees. My name is Dr. Mariah McCauley, and this week I'm talking with Dr. Anna Schozer as we look at the questions you should be asking in your next veterinary interview. Listen as Anna and I share our personal experiences of interviewing at practices and the questions we wished we had asked in the first place. Whether you are a vet student or a new grad or even the practice mentor, this episode will bring you so much value. So let's jump into it. Okay, well, Dr. Anna Schozer, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to what we have to say to these new grads and these vet students. But before we dive fully into that, can you just give us a quick rundown of what you are doing in veterinary medicine currently? Yeah, so my name is Dr. Anna Schozer. I am a 2021 grad from the University of Missouri. I did a little short stint in GP after graduation and about four or five months into that, about this time last year, I left the GP world to pursue relief work full time, mostly emergency medicine, but still do a little GP on the side and completely unrelated to veterinary medicine. I also am really passionate about health and fitness and share all about that on my social media pages too. And this is the perfect time. Go ahead and drop what your social media is. I want people to follow you. At Anna Schozer. That's my handle on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Oh, you're doing all three. I haven't been brave enough to do TikTok yet, but I know the VedEx crew that they got that covered. (laughs) (laughs) The place to be. Apparently, apparently. I know like Instagram just like is sliding by the way right now, but maybe one day I'll get on TikTok. But yes, go and follow Anna on Instagram and TikTok. That's the place to be. And YouTube, all of her information will be in the show notes. But let's dive into that transition that you did. You went from GP land to relief ER land. And also very important to this whole story is the fact that you are really close to like the vet school world. Like you graduated just about a year and a half, two years ago now. And or yeah, a year and a half now. So you really understand what it is like to be a new grad and also a final year vet student. You remember what all those nerves and anxieties are like and going through the interview process. Good glory, that is a whole stressor (laughs) in itself. And I know some of our classmates, like you probably had people who were like in their third year being like, I have accepted a job at such and such a practice. Oh, yeah. And you're like, what? (laughs) Well, how did you, why are you doing that yet? Um, I mean, looking at myself, I did not select a practice to work at until about three or four months after graduation. So if you're one of those students who is like a third or fourth year student and they don't have a job yet, that is okay. Everything will be all right. There's plenty of jobs out there. Don't worry. But focusing more on your story, you went from GP to ER in a very short span of time, mostly due, you can correct me if I'm wrong, due to the mentorship or lack thereof that you received in your first practice. And we don't have to necessarily go into the details because it's not as important to what we have to say today. But in all of that to say, like, you're close enough to the vet school world that you understand what's going on. 
the interview process was recent enough for you and you've gone through two rounds of it technically going from yeah. GP and then now into the relief because well I guess for relief you don't do as much like interviewing in the same way but you have a wealth of knowledge to share to this group of veterinary students new grads and also the people who are listening who want to be mentors. This is something for them to take a huge, huge listen to in what uh, veterinary students and new grads are looking for and what they need. So that's the whole premise of today's episode is we want to share with you guys the big questions we wish we had asked or that we did ask in our interview process so that we can prepare you guys a little bit better than maybe we were ourselves and save you some of the heartache, I guess, for lack of a better word, (laughs) that comes with asking a poor questions in the interview process, but then also how to better advocate for yourself and follow up on those questions. So Anna, take it away. I just kind of gave you 500 million directions to go with. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. So I went into my mentorship after school. Well, I guess I start with my job search. I thought I had a job early on in fourth year, so not quite as crazy as the third years who lock it in early um, and that job position fell through. So I ended up panic applying to five different jobs around February of fourth year when every single person I knew had a job by Christmas. So I felt so late to the game and I was just nervous I was going to find one, especially with the state of veterinary medicine now, that shouldn't have been a concern of mine, but I wanted to make sure I was going to find the right place because I had thought I had found it and it fell through. So I applied to five different ER clinics. That was my plan all along. I fell in love with emergency medicine during my clinical years. And I just love the fast pace, never knowing what's going to walk through the door. I thrive in the crazy. Somehow I ended up taking the one GP offer I got. I thought it was the best decision for me at the time, kind of a a slower pace to be able to transition from student to doctor. They had this whole mentorship program planned out for me. I got to kind of take it as slower, as quickly as I wanted to, adding on wellness appointments and shortening those to 30 minutes, then adding on sick appointments. And the whole process of it honestly wasn't too bad. But I think each clinic has its own things that you didn't know before you actually got there and are working there for a bit. So things I maybe I did ask and maybe I didn't get the correct answer or I didn't remember it or I just thought, hey, this is still going to be the lesser of two evils of jobs I was considering. Work-life balance. Number one, it is what I preach every day on every social media platform into everyone I know. And honestly, this clinic was amazing at it. I have no complaints. My schedule was amazing. I had a solid two hours for lunch every day, one hour to do callbacks, one hour dedicated to lunch. And other clinics I know are definitely not like that, especially now in ER. I I mean, I don't have callbacks, but I don't get a lunch break and I'm just eating a bite of a sandwich in between diagnostics being run. But having a clinic and management that actually supports that doesn't ask you to come in on your days off or stay after extra hours, or at least my clinic didn't have on-call hours. I know in more rural GP areas, that is something you'll have to do, but also something to take into consideration if you're applying to a clinic that has that job. That's one point for them is that they had work-life balance on lock. Employee retention rate 
is probably the thing I wish I had asked because while there were a good handful of people who have been there over 10 years, the newer people were leaving in under a year. And I didn't know that the doctor's place I was taking had left after six months. They had kind of just hyped up the doctors that were there 10, 15, 20 years. And those were my mentors. And it was awesome to learn from people who had that wealth of knowledge and needing to navigate systems in different ways, especially as medicine has evolved. But the turnover rate more recently has been a lot higher with just changes in staff and stuff. So that's definitely an indicative thing. And I mean, as a new grad, you're not necessarily thinking, oh, I need to ask about retention rate or turnover, or you don't understand fully why or and how it plays into what your job is going to be. So I guess like, I don't know how you worded it when you were asking the question, but I know for myself, I asked like, A, why are you looking for a new doctor? And yeah, like, why do you have an open spot? What happened to the last one? What were the terms on which they left? Those are different ways that you can word that. But then also looking at the support staff turnover, that is equally as important, especially right now as we are on the first day of veterinary technician week, because like we could both raise our hands in praise for all of the veterinary <laughs> technicians that we've worked with. But looking at what their staff turnover is, are they happy in their jobs? Are they happy enough to stay? That is a big, big play in what the outcome is going to be for you as a doctor. Because if all the support staff and veterinary assistants and CCAs are never really staying, big red flag big, big red flag. <laughs> so especially for yeah, new doctors who I depend wholly on my technicians, most of the times, I'll be like, Oh, am I doing this right? And even though they're not trained as a doctor, they've watched things be done a million times and can give you pointers that you didn't exactly. know you needed. So to have solid text to back you up is necessary. For a new I always think of those scenarios where you're standing there looking at your patient and your tech just brings <laughs> over the thing that they're like, you know, have you thought about maybe using this? Is This is what you wanted, right? And you're like, yes, yes, it is. Thank you. <laughs> Text they, know they know all, so sure. much. Oh, my goodness. So, all right. So you talked about work-life balance being like really important for you. And how would you, I guess, going back on things like, yes, the practice you were at was really good with work-life balance. How do you ask the question about it? that gives you the answer you need, not just the answer you want. Because if you ask them, what's work-life balance like at this practice? They're going to give you some fluffy answer that makes you feel good and gooey. So how do you ask it in a challenging but edifying way that helps expose those cracks? I would say, do you 100% get a designated time for lunch where it is nothing but that you're not going to be asked to overbook an appointment or like be interrupted by phone calls? Or are you expected to make your callbacks in between appointments or after hours? And sure, I guess they could fluff it up like that. But at least you're directly asking, do you specifically set aside this time? Or are we expected to find the time on our own to do these things? And then ask the other doctors in the practice that same question. Ask, what did your schedule look like last week? <laughs> find out if, if yeah. the schedule you're supposed to have is the schedule that you actually get. 
And this is really important for the veterinary mentors to hear or the people who are in the hiring side of the practice because they might be coming from a different age, a different generation where work-life balance or work-life symbiosis, um, as I like to call it, wasn't really a thing or wasn't valued the same way. So I know there can be a disparity between those generational stereotypes of someone like us coming in and being like, I want that hour for lunch. I want it to be purely lunch so I can go home and let my puppy out or so that I can go like downtown or go for a run or something. Mm -hmm. I want to be very intentional about that time and during the day. Whereas someone else might be like, no, I want to work all the way through to the very end of the day so I can leave at five o'clock on the dot. Granted, I feel like you can, in GP land at least, you technically could have both of those. ER is a little bit different, which you're very welcome to share um, what that experience is like. But being aware that if you're going into a practice that, A, hasn't had a new grad before, which that's a question we're going to get to in just a second. We're launching into it. If they haven't had a veterinary new grad at least before, they may not be as tuned into what people in our day and age need or want. So with that, that next question that you should definitely ask is, have you had a new grad before? And is that a question that you asked at your practice? I did. And they had mentored someone. She was technically a new grad. She was older. She had like, this was her second career, but she had gone through the mentorship and she had good words to say about it. So that is a question. Ask if they have mentored someone recently and if you can speak to that person as to their own experiences away from the people who are doing the mentoring so that you get the real truth from them. Absolutely. That is such a big one that I feel like a lot of people forget to ask or when they ask it, they don't do that second step and talk to the recent mentee. Somewhat of a big red flag is if that mentee is no longer at that practice. Granted, One caveat that I would have to that is depending on the situation that you're in, like if you are in a practice where maybe they're a specialty practice and their goal is to give you the base layer so that they can launch you further in your career, then it would be appropriate for that mentee to no longer be in that position because they lifted them up and said, all right, we gave you the base. Now go do big things, baby bird. (laughs) That would be the, the one caveat to that. But in general, in a GP practice, for the most part, they're wanting to keep those mentees because of the the financial cost of taking someone on like that. I think it takes like, what, three years or something for a practice to technically earn back the money that they invest, the money and the time, essentially, that they invest into that new grad. So it is a big deal from a new grad standpoint to be taken on as a mentee. But then also for you mentors listening out there or practice managers, this is not something to take lightly. Like, do not fluff things. Do not try and candy coat things when you're interviewing people. Because if they're just going to leave after six months, a year, two years even, that is money down the drain for you guys and also lost clients. So yep. these are words to live by, quite honestly. All right, next question. Which one would you ask next? I would say asking the management team if they will support your not only medical decisions, but like situations around clients and how, unfortunately, how they handle firing clients and the tougher conversations with clients because as a relief vet, I've now worked between five different hospitals and there are some management systems that definitely 
have given clients five strikes too many. And there are others that take nothing and one strike and they're out. And unfortunately, we're in a society where owners are not always the nicest to us. And you want to know that you have a support system that's going to support you. God forbid, even when you are in the wrong, you want to have people backing you up. Absolutely. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at Venex. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. So, how would you ask that question to again expose those cracks, or at least expose maybe not the cracks, but expose the true colors of how you would be well supported? Because this isn't just a here's how to find all the red flags in a practice. It's also how to find the golden nuggets. So, how would you ask that question in a different way? I would probably say. Have you ever had a difficult client experience and how has management handled it? Or what's your policy on terminating clients? That kind of thing. So if, and it's not wrong to give clients a chance or two, maybe they're having a terrible day, but if it's every time they come in and it's documented that they're having issues with front staff, back staff, it doesn't matter. You want to know that there is a point where management is going to make that final decision. And as you're saying that, I know both of us are thinking of exact (laughs) clients that we can like picture their face and like, I'm getting a chill up my spine thinking about because maybe management hasn't fired them yet, but that is like documented in the Mm -hmm. record that they're like that. But that goes for veterinarians. It also goes for veterinary technicians, like all the other support staff in the hospital, like knowing that there is a a policy in place, because even scarier than Mm -hmm like not having a strong policy is having no policy. And granted, if that might be a space for you to step in and say, hey, I want to help and develop this. That's not a bad thing. But again, have to have those steps in place. Okay, so we talked about like going back in time, we talked about work-life balance. We talked about the mentorship structure. So now what would be, I'm trying to think of, there was a question, I literally just had it in my head and it went poof, gone. So I'm going to turn it back over to you and what would be the next question that you either would recommend new grads ask or that you wish you had asked? Those are usually my big go-to ones. I mean, this one isn't necessarily as important, but knowing what benefits you get, and I didn't even understand benefits before I went to the relief world, because now I don't have any. So like, knowing health insurance, disability insurance, short versus long term, comparing how many days off you get for CE versus how much they'll cover 
And does your job offer free CE? Because those are things financially that are going to help you in the long term. Now I don't have any of them. So I, I do miss that aspect. Not going to give you a red flag either way, but it's definitely going to help you compare job offers, mm -hmm. which I had no idea about before. <laughs> I know that the job comparison, that was one of the hardest things I found for me because I had a lot, I've like three, I had three or four really good competitors like that were trying to get like get me to work for them when I went through the interview process and I actually had to call one of my mentors and I was like, help, what do I do? What do I say? And like, it is a really hard process to go through as a new grad. And so that I would say for these students that are looking at jobs, like talk to someone who's in the profession, like use them as a mentor to, if nothing else, help process your thoughts. Like for me, I am a talker. So I need to talk at someone to kind of process what I'm thinking. And that was really beneficial because at the end of the conversation, my mentor was able to kind of look back at me and say, so what I'm hearing is, and I was either able to say, yes, that is a complete sentence that takes the last 30 minutes and puts it into a single thought. So <laughs> that is something that is very beneficial. But I want to spend a little bit of time actually approaching the interview as itself. So instead of taking the questions that we wish we had asked or are really important to highlight the red flags or golden nuggets, as a new grad who's going into an interview, let's spend like five or 10 minutes just going over like what are the steps that you would take or the things that you should have set in your mind before you even approach the interview itself. So things that are coming to mind for me, like I was looking at my my notebook the other day and I came across the pages that had these three or four practices in a line. Um, and I had like a little column that went through the things that were most important to me. So for you, and similar for me, those, I guess, life aspects that are like, I must have this or else this is a no-go type of scenario. So like good work-life symbiosis and defining what that means. Good mentorship, defining what that means. <laughs> and again, that's kind of the hardest bit. But also going into it and playing the numbers game. Like what is your anchor? And I guess for people who don't know what an anchor is, an anchor is like your first pitch of how much you want to be paid. Was that something that you had come up with before you approached this practice? Or how did you go about, I guess, making this comparison table for the practices you interviewed at? It was a bit interesting. My student advisor at school has I guess from the AVMA, like the average amount, GP versus ER, small animal versus large medicine, veterinarians are paid in each state. So she gave us an average of what we should at least be hoping for. I never asked any of the five clinics I got offers from for a specific amount of money. I just let them give me their offer and compared it in that way. For a different clinic that I didn't end up working on, I did negotiate a higher salary because compared to the other ones, it was dramatically lower. But the GP offer, I was happy with knowing what my friends were getting in different areas. Now looking back at it, I didn't get a, a relocation bonus. I didn't get a sign-on bonus, which a lot of people were getting. And I was like, wow, I didn't get that. But quitting as early as I did, I would have had to pay all of that Ooh. back. So I'm I'm very thankful that it just so happened that I didn't get anything like that, but it is something to be aware of and that you can ask for because I was moving 
1200 plus miles from Missouri to New Hampshire. And I could have gotten a relocation fee for that. Like all of my friends from school got that. And clinics will give you large sign-on bonuses this time <laughs> in, in this industry. No, that is such an important thing to consider are the relocation bonuses. But like you said, like read the fine print of your contracts. And again, have someone who maybe isn't in veterinary medicine, if you have that ability to read over your contract before you sign on the dotted line, just because there's a lot of jargon in there that chanted, like, I honestly didn't understand. I was just kind of like, okay, guys, let's yep. go with it. You're going to pay me lots of money. I'm going to work with animals. Here we go. But that is like a very, very, very crucial bit to the interview process when you do get to the contract part. But the financial aspect, yes, there is a listing through the AVMA of what the average practice should be offering. And granted, that will shift dependent on where you are in the United States or in the world. And I feel like this is a good place to kind of be like, and hound. <laughs> so yeah. um, there are different job search platforms. Hound is one that Anna and I both really like, just from the aspect that they list the salary in the job offer. So that is a very, very beneficial point. Because then you can say, you can go into the interview and say, all right, is that your anchor? Or is this negotiable? And from there, you can kind of talk back and forth. And I find that a lot of new grads will lowball themselves. It's just yeah. part of our nature. We don't think we're worth as much because we're new. But the honest reality is that you are worth quite a bit. Now, the little breaks on that is in my own practice, watching some of the applications come through and I'm like, they're asking for how much? Like, I think they think a little bit too much of themselves at this point, because even like a many, many years graduated vet would not be able to earn the numbers that they're asking for. So when you are coming up with that anchor, run it by a mentor, run it by someone in practice, make sure it is uh, humanly capable of being reached that would be a good place to go. So in those interviews, really coming up, like have that list of questions written down. Don't just come off the fly off the top of your head because it will help you be more eloquent as I stumble over my words right there. But it will help you present yourself as a more professional human being. The fact that you're being intentional about your time, about your questions. And also remember like, it is like that the whole purpose is for you to ask questions about them. Yes, they're trying to find out information about you and whether or not you'd be a good fit for their practice, but you are interviewing them just as much. And so utilize that time wisely. Come up with more questions than you think you'll ever ask. Half of them will be answered as they talk to you, but it's never wrong just to have a running list of those things. And then again, like you're asking the practice manager, you're asking the other doctors, you're asking the veterinary assistants, the veterinary technicians, the receptionists, all of these different questions, because you're not just going to be a doctor, you're a part of this whole team. And I feel like I'm, I'm rambling a little bit because I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> so I apologize. But I guess the last thing that I'll say before I turn it back over to you is... If you have the opportunity and really try and make this a priority is to spend a week or two with the practice that you want to work at. I find that one week is not enough. So three days is like laughable. Granted, I get it. There's some scenarios where you cannot spend the money to live at a hotel for those two weeks. Granted, if you're at some of these corporates, they should be willing to put up the money for you to stay and actually like shadow at these practices for that amount of time. 
full disclosure, just putting it out there. But really take the time if it's offered and you can make it happen. And maybe you have to be the person to say, hey, I want to spend two weeks with you guys. But two weeks has kind of been the number that I find takes for the candy coating to get worn away from a practice. That's when you start to really notice the tea that's getting spoken in the back room with the receptionists or the technicians or the other doctors. So that's my end of my soapbox. I'll turn it back over to you. That was going to be my next thought because the GP clinic that I went to, I spent a full two weeks there and uh, like I loved the vibe of it and the doctors there. And I didn't spend more than like a day like and some just like three to five hours at the other clinics I had interviewed with. And now thinking back at it, I'm like, how could I really judge what it was going to be like to work there based off of one day when I was just paired with one doctor. I didn't get to see the other doctors, the other techs, how it is on a busier day versus a slower day. And I was just going to jump into it without real experience of what it was like. Some places you'll walk in and you'll say, "Mm, this really isn't for me Mm -hmm. within the first hour or so you could know. But to know that you really are going to love a place and that you're going to trust these people to really walk you through the most crucial time in your career definitely takes more than a day. Absolutely. And so if you can, like I said, take those two weeks, find a way to spend the time there, go out to lunch with the the different team members, get to know them outside of the practice. And I think the, the last little tidbit that I'll add into this, which isn't as important as the rest of the things that we've talked about, is really ask about their different hospital protocols. So when it comes to like anesthesia, like what is the drug protocols you use or what are the type of monitoring equipment that you have? Like some of the more nuts and bolts types of things like really should be involved in your interviews because there are standards of care that maybe you do want like the top tier gold level of practice and what it can offer. Or maybe you're like someone who's like, I want to do rural medicine where you do what you can with what you got type of thing. And again, that is that spectrum of care. But if you go into it expecting gold level and they only offer medium, like you're not going to be as happy. So do take the time to also ask about the nuts and bolts types of questions. I wanted to make sure I got that one in there. So it's not near as important. You can work around a lot of those things and slowly change protocols, but it does play into your overall quality of life if you're constantly like, oh, I wish we didn't do it that way type of thing. But just, yeah. Yeah. And to kind of add on to that, which I honestly think this topic is fairly important because are you going to have the freedom to practice medicine the way you want to? And that was one of my biggest struggles working in GP as a whole in a busier clinic that did not always have time to take x-rays during an appointment and I'd have to send them away to the ER or dogs that would come in for bite wound repairs, which I knew how to do. I Again, I love emergency medicine. I wanted to do that, but I did not have the time or the technician staff to be able to sedate a dog, repair it and still do all of my other appointments. So I found myself referring a lot to the emergency hospital, which is one of the reasons why I left because If I was just sending it to the ER, why don't I just go work at the ER and actually be able to practice medicine the Mm -hmm. way I wanted to and not be confined by 30-minute GP appointments? No, that is incredibly important. And again, it kind of goes back to that scheduling question of Mm -hmm. how are you guys scheduled? Does it allow for 
X, Y, and Z for that dog bite to be repaired later in the afternoon for that x-ray to be taken? Those are really important questions, which again, it's like hindsight is 2020, but we're hoping that by us sharing these thoughts um, and experiences for you guys, it will help you as you're developing these interview questions or help you as you're looking at practices and getting a little bit more confidence in the questions that you ask, more confidence in yourself in general, because dog it, I'm trying to do this without swearing. <laughs> Gosh darn it, there we'll say that. Like you are graduating from vet school, you have such a wealth of knowledge and skill to offer these clinics and they know this. Granted, like the one that you're going to work at, they know that, they value it. It is very important, so own it. And I guess that would be kind of like the last thing that I would say on that. But anything that you want to add to the very end of this? I think just being intentional with all of your questions, really try to spend time at the clinics that you're very interested in, whether it's trying to book that into your clinical schedule itself through externships or electives, whatever it may be at your school. Otherwise, an off-block will work. Mm-hmm. But just this is going to be, unfortunately, one of the biggest decisions of your life because it is such a critical time in speaking and being one of the people to have, unfortunately, left their first job so early. It was one of the hardest but best decisions I've ever made, but I would never wish that experience on anyone. I'm the type of person who stays at my jobs until I move this state for school or a different reason. So I want everyone to find the clinic that they love with people they love that is supportive and the place where they truly fit in. And for that reason, you are an awesome and incredible mentor. <laughs> like legit guys, like like she said in the beginning, go and check out her Instagram and her TikTok and her YouTube. She genuinely wants to see you guys succeed. That's why we have her on the podcast today. All of her content is just always so educational and uplifting. So thank you for putting yourself out there, first off. Like that's a huge thing. And talking about your experience of transitioning from GP to ER and just, again, like offering this advice to new grads and veterinary students and the mentors. I hear you guys. I know you're listening (laughs) just because it is incredibly valuable. So with that, I will say, Anna, thank you so much again for joining us on the podcast this week. And of course, if you guys are looking out for more information or more content, you can always listen to the podcast through VetX International. Go ahead and join the community there. There are a ton of mentors who want to help you guys. But otherwise, until next week, y'all, see ya. Bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Vet Life.